Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, before we get started, I want to read a tweet that was sent to me this morning. And it was a good reminder for me this morning, and I think it will be for, for all of us. Um, the biggest problem in most churches today is the gospel isn't being preached and God's word isn't being followed. Your church doesn't need one more program. Your denomination doesn't need one more strategy. You have the Bible, so teach it. And it references the, the passage from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 2 to um, Paul's call to Timothy is to preach the word. It's hard sometimes, especially in a small country church, to, to not try to get more programs or to try to get something cute or funny or fancy. And the Bible tells us, though, that, that this is what people will cling to. Um, so I was reminded that this morning, that, that it doesn't need to be cute, doesn't need to be fancy. Um, you don't have to have all the right jokes. You don't have to have all the right uh, nuances. You don't have to be the best spoken person in the room. You just have to preach the Bible, and, and God will grant us um, fruitfulness from that. So if everyone would please take your Bible, and um, we're going to be back in Genesis chapter 3. So just flip to, flip to Genesis 3. Today we're looking at verses 14 through 24. It's a lot, of, a lot of text. We're going to move through it fairly quickly, and we're going to focus on, on just a couple of verses. So if everyone is there, uh, when you get there, please say amen. Amen. All right. Before we, before we read the text, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come together, and thank you for your promise that where two or more gathered, you are there. God, we know that you are here this morning. We just welcome you into our hearts. We just pray that the words that come forth this morning will be what you want spoken, and that you'll open, open our ears, open our hearts to hearing your word. God, we just thank you so much for the Bible and for the ability to, to come together as a church family and hear and read what you have for us. We just thank these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the last couple weeks we've been talking. We, we, let's back up. Several weeks we've talked about creation, Genesis. We've gone from Genesis 1 all the way through. Now we're in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. So we're moving through the beginning. Right? God created. Um, then we went through the days of creation. God made everything. Um, then we went to man and woman the institution of marriage, and then the last two weeks we talked about the fall, right? Kind of a, kind of a, a down couple weeks, right? Not that the messages were bad, but the, the fall of man, right? Man and, and woman were, first of all, in perfect unity. They had a perfect relationship together, and then they were in a perfect relationship with God in the garden. It was perfect. Everything was perfect. Perfect. Then comes a serpent, slithers in, and what's he do? Deceives the woman. Then the man follows. So now we're going to look at the promise. So there's a fall. 
We've got the backstory. Now we're going to look at what, what happens through that fall. What does God do? God makes a promise. And so let's read, let's read the text. I'm going to go all the way through it, 14 to 24, and then we'll break it down. So Genesis 3, verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above you all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent, out, sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work in the ground in which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So today we're going to, we're actually going to work backwards through this text. So we're going to work backwards and, and go through it, and then we're going to come back um, full circle uh, to what I would consider and what we all should consider the key, the key verses, the key verse of this chapter. So first we're going to look at verse, we're going to start with verse 16 and then work our way to the end. So what... What did God promise? Right? So God addresses three separate individuals. Okay, he addresses the serpent, which is in verse 14 and 15. We're going to come back to that. He addresses the woman, and then he addresses the man. Those are, those are the three people that were involved in the fall, and he addressed all of them. Now, he also addressed the Trinity, right? the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. He addressed those, and we're going to touch on that and what he did to the man and woman when he addresses, when he addresses <clears throat> excuse me, uh, those in heaven. So, verse 16, what did he promise the woman? Very simple. So, verse 16, he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. So, women, you can blame Eve for the pain of childbearing. It's a reminder that women gave birth to sin. And we said that this morning. We are born into sin. That's a reminder. That is, that is the biblical reminder of sin, childbirth. Sin is passed on to the children. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in inequity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we're born into sin. We're reminded of that through the pain of childbearing. Now, but there's a way for women to be delivered from this curse of sin. 
right? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If. There's an if there. So she can be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So there's a curse that we, are, that we remember through the pain of childbearing, but there's a way, in a sense, to be redeemed of that, of that curse by raising your children up in holiness, to know the Lord, to know God's word, right? So there's a, a little bit of a, a, a shining light, right? God gives a little bit of hope, and we're gonna cont- as we continue on, we're going to see more hope. So, so that is that women need to raise godly children. Okay, now let's, let's keep moving down. The second half of verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. <laughs> there's, there's, there's more to that. So your desire should be for your husband. So 16 verses ago, okay, so let's rewind. We're in verse 16. 16 verses ago, marriage was perfect, okay? For the first and only time in history, marriage was per- There was the perfect marriage, right? It didn't last very long, okay? We're, we're not even just a few pages in, and perfect marriage is over, right? I think all of us who are married, we know that, Amen? Husbands and wives desperately need God. They need God's help to create order in their homes and in their marriages. Desperately need God's help. Um, years ago, I, I was speaking with a pastor about marriage counseling. He does a lot of marriage counseling. And, um, and many of us have heard this, right? That, that, and you hear it a lot of times at weddings that it's a, the three-stranded cord or the the, you know, there's some, some marriages, they always say there's two, but in a, in a true godly marriage, there's three people coming together, right? Husband, wife, and God. And he, he drew a picture of a, um, of a triangle, okay? Husband and wife are at the bottom, and God's at the top. So as, as the husband and wife grow closer to God, they also grow what? Closer to each other, right? Because as the triangle goes up. So as the husband and wife, they're... they're their calling is to grow closer to God first, right? They're supposed to go up at that angle first, but as they grow closer to God, now they're growing closer to each other because every step up draws them closer on that, the line of the triangle. So we need God in our marriages to make them work, period, point blank. So the perfect marriage doesn't exist. We have to have God help us now. We each have our own desires. Women have their desires. Men have their desires. So the woman's desire will be to lord it over their husbands. And that's what this says. That's your desire is to lord it over. What's that mean? It means to, to the, your, the, women, the women's desire, the woman's desire is to, to remind her husband she's smarter than him or that she can do this better than him or you know, that, that she needs to be in charge. The biblical... The biblical calling of marriages and the marriage relationship is that men are to, to rule over and protect their wives. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, 
that women are, are less. I'm not saying that men are more. That's, that's, don't get that mixed up in, in all of this because that's not what this is at all. There are different roles in the household. There are different roles under the household with God's provision. And when we, we go back to the first half of verse 16 and we see it then in Timothy, one of the roles of mothers is to raise godly children. Okay, that's a calling on mothers, to raise godly children. Now, the calling on men, and I'm going to go to the famous passage, Ephesians 5, right? We, we've all heard it. We've all um, heard it many times. We've all taken it out of context many times. Ephesians 5, 25, Ephesians 5 verse 20 through, 22 through 25 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now most people stop right there. The guys stop right there. Okay? Keep reading though. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to love their wives just like Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died. Husbands are to love their wives. Julie, this is a great time for you to come in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got to, it's, it's twofold, right? There's, there's give and take. It's not a, I'm going to love my wife if she is nice to me today, or I'm going to love, I'm going to, I'm going to love my husband. I'm going to do this for him if he's nice to me today. No, we're, we're called independent of one another to love each other, husbands and wives, to love each other. This is tough, right? This is, this is tough, but this is the biblical calling of marriages. Okay, we, we talked about that a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but this is what God's saying is that our nature now, your nature as the woman is going to be to try to one-up your husband. Okay, and, and it compares it another chapter later. It says, um, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. In the end of verse 16, it compares another chapter later. Man's desire will be to sin and he has to overcome that. Right? So women have to overcome this desire to try to rule over their husbands. And men have to overcome this desire to, to sin Right? But they have, to, they have to take care of each other. That's, that's the calling. So there's, we're coming to hurdles that we've got to overcome now because of these, these promises God is making through the fall. Okay? We have to do these things because we are fallen. Women's desire will be to Lord and husbands will rule by divine design. So it's, it's the divine design of marriage for husbands to rule. It's the divine design for wives to submit. Um, each has its own place. I think that's, that's uh, without getting into it too much, that's a little bit of the confusion in our world today with our, with our marital roles and with our, with our just constant headbutting in marriages, right? Is that we're trying to do too much of each other's jobs, right? Husbands and wives are, are meant to, to fit together complimenting each other, and, and most importantly, glorifying God through complimenting each other. And too often we're, we're doing this, right? We're butting heads, we're, we're ramming against each other, we're fighting each other when we should be working together for the greater good and the greater glory of God. 
So that's the first promise to the woman. Now, we're going to move into verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So man turned his back on the voice of God. The woman was deceived by the serpent. The man comes in and just blindly did what his wife told him to do. How many of us blindly just do what our wives tell us to do? Sometimes you might want to, but you shouldn't. You need to think about it. Okay, I'm told to do this, but hang on. Is that going to lead me down a sinful path? That's what the man didn't do. The man did not think about what God told him not to do. Right? Eve said, hey, Adam, here, try this fruit. It's great. Eat it. Bam, take a bite. When he should have said, wait a minute, where'd that? I haven't seen that fruit before. It smells really sweet. It, is that from that tree that God told us not to eat? That's what, he, should have, he should have stopped and thought about it. God told me not to do this. That's where man, Adam, slipped because he wasn't resisting sin, right? He fell into that desire. So the first part is God said, you listened to her and not to me. That's where he got off track. On the triangle, Adam wasn't going up to God. He was trying to get back down to the bottom and jump across to Eve, right? It's, it's, it's not the way it works because as soon as he went down and jumped across to Eve, he's the furthest point from God he could be. So don't turn your back on the voice of God. Don't turn your back on the word of God. Doesn't matter who's telling you what to do, right? God should be the most important. Now we keep moving through verse 17, verse 18. God curses the ground. He cursed the ground. So let's back up a little bit. In the garden, what was the garden like? It was perfect, yes, but but how did how did they eat? What did they have to eat? Whatever they wanted. All the, all the berries. The, the garden was very lush. It was growing. There was all kinds of stuff. It didn't have to work for it. Garden was in between a couple, couple rivers, right? Everything was, was beautiful and green and lush. The ground wasn't hard. The ground produced plentiful, okay? So the garden was self-sustaining through God's design, and they didn't have to work for food. All right, Adam, the man, Adam, didn't have to to, to work the ground. I mean, and we're in a, a perfect place to understand that, right? You look around, there's farm fields all around us, right? We understand from year to year how the conditions have to be almost perfect to have a good yield, right? Talk to any farmer and they'll tell you, hey, how's it going? Ah, it could be better, right? Ah, you know, it's, it's, we had too much rain or we didn't have enough rain or it's, the ground's too dry, the ground's too hard, it just can't get stuff to grow, right? We got we to gotta work at it. So God curses the ground because of, of what man did. In pain you shall eat of it the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. He says it's going to be tough. 
you know, it's not all rainbows and sunshine now. You're going to have to work for it, right? If you, if you want to eat, you want to provide for your family, you're going to have to work for it. So God cursed the ground. And then verse 19, let's keep moving forward. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's, that's harsh. Right? That, that's really harsh. So God says, from dust you came, and to dust you'll return. Promises Adam that. Promises the man that. So we've got this man and woman. They both have promises now made by God that they're going to have a harder time. All right, the, man, the man is to lead the household. The man is to set forth, but the man now has to work. I want, I want to back up just a second and, and point something out. So I, did, I pulled a little bit of research on um, Christian households and, and men, men and women, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, when they, when they are um, the first person saved in the household, right? How the household falls. Um, this is just one survey. If a child, okay, if a child is the first person that's saved in the household, that becomes a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. 3.5%, very low, right? So if, if, if a kid's saved, the likelihood of anyone else in the household being saved is pretty slim to none, okay? If the mother is the first person to become a Christian, that percent probably, it goes, it goes up a little bit. What do you think that might go to? It goes from three and a half to what? 17. If the mother is the first person to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability everyone else in the house will follow. If the father... If the father is the first person in the household to become a Christian, it jumps to 93%. 93%. I'll take 93 over 17 and 3 all day long. Right? This is why God's saying this. Right? This is the proof. That statistic is the proof that the husbands are designed to lead. They're created to lead. It's, it's not, that, not that the other way it couldn't happen, but this is the way God made it. Husbands are to lead the household. 93% success rate, probability that everyone else in the house will follow and become a Christian as well. But it's, it's not easy. It's tough, right? We've got these hurdles to overcome now. We've got this pain that the women are going to suffer and the pain the men are going to suffer. And that's going to continue on. You're going to have to work the ground. And now, God says, from dust to dust, you came and you're going to return. Now, there's a little bit of speculation. Was man created immortal? And there's not really a lot of proof for it when, when you really dig deep into the scriptures. Um, most, most scholars would agree that man was not made immortal the way God, obviously man was not equal to God. God is immortal. 
God is everlasting. Man, man was made. There were, but remember, there were two trees in the garden. Right? The tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Okay? So the tree of life indicates that if man would have eaten of that tree, he would live forever. Okay? That's what the scripture tells us. The man never ate of it, never touched it, neither did the woman. Right? The temptation was about the tree of, of truth and knowledge. But there was this other tree, the tree of life. But when God says to the man, from dust you came and to dust you shall return, he is pointing out to man his mortality. He is bringing to light our mortality as humans, as women and men. He's pointing it out and saying, You're, you are now liable for all of the sufferings and all of the miseries. He's, he's laid them out here of human nature. Right? You're going to have desires that are going to lead you away from me. You're going to suffer. You're going to have miseries. It's not going to, it's not going to be perfect like it was 16 verses ago. Now 19 verses ago. It's not perfect any longer. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read verses 20 through 24. We're going to cover all of those together. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the bread of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So real quick, verse 21 says, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Before God clothed them, they were covering themselves up with leaves. Okay? And, and this, we skip over this a lot. There's, a, there's so much here we kind of skip, we run over real quick. The first death did not come of Adam and Eve. It should have. They ate of the tree that they were forbidden to eat of. That should have been the first death, right? Adam and Eve, God had every right. He said, you'll die. He had every right to do that. But he didn't. The first death was an animal. God killed an animal, took the skin from the animal, and made clothes. This is, this is a little bit of a... Of a Kind of a precursor, right? It's, it's substitutionary. God's killing something else to cover the sins. Okay? We're gonna, and we're going to get into that. Right? So God substituted Adam and Eve's lives. He killed an animal, made skins, and, and made garments, and then clothed them. Verse 22 and 23, he turns, this is where he turns to the Son, to the Spirit, and says, wait a minute. Man has become like us. Not, not immortal, not everlasting, not holy, but he's become like us in knowing good and evil. Man's eyes were opened, and they understood good and evil. That's why they were ashamed. That's why they hid. So, they agree that we have to send them out of the garden. Because why? There's that tree of life over here. That if they eat of it, they would live forever. Now, that's a little bit of God's grace, right? That's a glimpse of God's grace. 
Because man is in this fallen state now. We're sinned. God doesn't want us to live in this cursed state forever. So God doesn't want us to be in the garden eating of the tree of life to live forever in a cursed state. He doesn't want that for us. He wants us a chance to be redeemed. So he takes them out of the garden and doesn't doesn't give them that ability. And then puts a a cherubim, flaming cherubim with a sword up to guard it. So there's no getting back in. The garden's done. They're out. They're not getting back. Completely forbidden. But we see God's grace. Now, so we've seen the curse to the woman, the curse to the man, and what happened to the garden. Now let's go back and let's look at the curse to the serpent. Verse 14. And this is, this is the meat, right? We just ate the veggies and the potatoes and, the, and maybe we had a little bit of dessert. This is the meat, though. This is what will sustain and fulfill. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'm going to stop there for just a second. There are two parts to this serpent. Okay, There's the physical serpent, and then there's the spiritual serpent. Verse 14 curses the physical serpent. Right? So he says, you're cursed, you're below all the animals. Everyone's above you. You're going to crawl on your belly, and dust you shall eat. Micah uh, chapter 7, verse 16 and, and 17, talks about eating dust and how it's a form of humiliation. It's, it's absolutely humiliating to eat dust in, in the culture here, in the Jewish culture. So to the serpent, this, this puts him physically below everything. It humiliates him as a physical being. Okay? That's, that's the first promise to the serpent, is the, the humiliation and the curse of the physical. Now, verse 15. I will put in enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I've read that so many times. All of us probably have. It, it wasn't until my late 20s that I understood what that even meant. Had no idea. I mean, I'd, I probably should have. I didn't. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't hit. This is, this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It's often called... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this pronunciation. Proto-evangelium. Actually, well, that wasn't bad. Proto-evangelium. What's proto-evangelium? Quit using the big words. What's, the, what's, what's that even mean? Proto, protos means first, simple. First, evangelion means the good news. So what's, what is verse 15? Verse 15 is the first gospel. It's the first gospel. It's the first mention of a coming Savior. The man versus the serpent is not just a 
a simple struggle in the garden of the serpent deceived us and we ate some fruit. Yeah, that, it, it is that. But it's a constant cosmic struggle. It's a spiritual struggle that every single one of us goes through every single day. The serpent is the devil and the man is God's chosen people. Your offspring... God's talking to the serpent. Your offspring is Satan and the unbelievers. Those who do not choose to follow God. Her offspring, meaning Eve, is Christ, who is a descendant of Eve and the followers of Christ. The chosen and the, and the, and the ones who don't want to be chosen are the ones who just disregard it, the ones who don't want to follow it, and, and God's people, those who follow Jesus Christ. Those are the two sides, your offspring, her offspring. Satan bruised Christ's heel. Have any of you ever, I haven't, have any of you ever like torn an Achilles or had your, like something happen to your heel? No, I've had friends that have had it happen. They said it's painful, right? Paint a picture. Your, your Achilles is the tendon that runs the back of your heel. If that's cut or severed, it will roll up into your leg. Right? Think about that. Probably hurts. I don't, I'm not going to do it to try it. I don't want to. It probably hurts. The devil bruised Christ's heel. He bruised the offspring's heel. He caused him to suffer. And suffer he did. But, and this is, this is the good news, right? We're making promises here, and most of these promises are bad. Most of these promises are suffering. Most of these promises are, are going to make life hard. That's the physical side of it. There's a promise here that makes life beautiful. And that's the spiritual side of it. It's, it's the good news. The first mention of the good news. Christ will bruise Satan's head, ultimately destroying him. Romans 16, verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Jesus came and Jesus suffered. An, an excruciating, terrible, humiliating death when he didn't deserve it. God's love and grace for us sent him. Christ, following the will of the Father, agreed to do it, and it happened. And it, for those short 72 hours, Satan thought he won. I bruised his heel. And the whole time, he, Satan's probably thinking back, I remember back in the garden when God said that I was going to bruise his heel, and, and today's the day. I'm, I'm going to bruise him. But then, he, then he, he probably thinks, wait a minute. After I do that, he's going to crush my head. And God does. Jesus does. He comes back. He raises from the dead. 
and he crushes Satan's head. And then ultimately Satan is destroyed. In Romans, or excuse me, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the destruction of Satan. He will be thrown into the lake of sulfur, sulfur, along with his followers. Now, last week, Tim, Tim asked a question, and it references back to the garden when, when the fruit was first eaten. God came and said, Adam, Eve, where are you? It wasn't a yelling, screaming, where are you? It was a, hey, where are you? God knew. God knows everything. God sees everything. God is everywhere. But the question I want to leave you with today is, is where are you? Are you on the side of the offspring of your offspring, Satan and the unbelievers, or her offspring, Christ and his followers? Which side are you on? Where are you? 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ won the decisive victory over Satan through his death and resurrection. Satan is ultimately destroyed in the book of Revelation. The devil is destined for that eternal destruction. Even though he assaults us and the people of God each and every day. We're aware of his threat. We feel his threat. We see his threat. We know his threat. But we must not fear him. The devil shouldn't fear you. The devil should fear you. The devil should not put fear in you. Why? Because we're in Christ. If we follow Jesus Christ, if we've accepted him into our hearts as our personal Savior, if we believe that he came and died on that cross for us, we should not fear the devil because we are of Christ. And the Lord calls us to fight the devil through prayer, through gathering together as a church family, through supporting one another, through ministry, the spoken word, the read word, the sung word, through evangelism, through sharing the gospel. Jesus' last, the, the Great Commission calls us to go and make disciples. And not just make disciples, but teach them. Teach them my ways. Teach them the things that Jesus taught us. That's our calling. That's how we fight the devil every day. It's a spiritual warfare every day. But that's how, that's how God calls us as the offspring of Eve. And so, through this message, there's a lot of promises. And I thank God for those promises. Because this is the first mention of the gospel. This is the first mention of Jesus Christ coming as our Redeemer to save all of us from eternal damnation. Thank God for that. And thank God for this promise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that we can come together and open your word and, and hear what it has to say. And God, most importantly, thank you for your promise because you are holy, you are true, and you keep your promises. You sent a Savior. You sent Jesus. He came. He lived a perfect life. He suffered a gruesome death. 
But God, three days later, he rose from the dead. Satan bruised him. Satan bruised his heel, but ultimately, Jesus won, crushing his head. We just thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this promise. In your name we pray. Amen.